0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the spirit of decorating early for the holidays, I got our outside lights done. Oh, how is it? Well, it's good, but it's sort of Griswold. Very bright. (laughs) But the problem is I never even see it because we've stopped going outside.
1: Well, you're going to have to go outside and take a picture of it, because I, of course, want to see it if it's like the Griswolds.
0: Okay, I'll send it to you. Okay. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Craft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being
1: writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of
0: attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to share our latest project, which has finally been officially announced. Yay! Yay! Then we have a mailroom question about how good projects go bad.
1: And in our The Craft and Fame segment, we'll talk about the why you, why now of pitching. And this week's Hollywood Hack will help you assess your COVID risk if you're thinking of going out anywhere.
0: Yes. But first, Sarah, we have a little update. We want to remind everyone that we are still selling our Happier in Hollywood Sillipine cups with lid They're rainbow pattern. They're very adorable. They're so pretty. And they're $25, which includes shipping and the lid. And they keep hot things hot and cold things cold. And they're just quite marvelous. (laughs) And unbreakable. As someone who has an eight-year-old who drops
1: hers frequently, I can say that's quite nice.
0: (laughs) Yes. Plus, we're sending them in the mail, so I like not having to worry about them breaking. In yes. transit. Anyway, if you would like one or you want to buy one um, as a gift for the holiday season, email us at happierinhollywood@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill dust Sub, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's our latest project. Yay. We can finally talk about it because it has been officially announced. It was on Deadline and all sorts of other outlets We are adapting the incredible novel, The Final Girls Support Group by Grady Hendrix for TV. Yes. And all these announcements and things are wonderful, but we have to be clear, we
1: still have to actually sell it. Now that this (laughs) sort of partnership with Annapurna has happened, we now have to write the pitch and go out and sell the pitch. So it's not a done deal, but It certainly should be. It's like the best, the, the, the best book. And we're so excited about what this can be as a TV show.
0: Yeah. Should we read a description of the book, Sarah, so people have a sense of what it's about? Yes. Okay. I will read it. This is from the Deadline article about the project. Both an homage to and subversion of iconic slasher films, The Final Girl Support Group is billed as a fresh new take on the beloved horror subgenre, while also capturing the cultural zeitgeist around true crime stories. The women in The Final Girl Support Group have been in therapy together for decades, ever since one was attacked by a cannibal family in Texas by a machete-wielding maniac at summer camp— by an older brother who returned to settle scores on Halloween, by a lunatic who allegedly entered their dreams. These are the middle-aged survivors of the real-life crimes the slasher movies are based on. Some of them are addicts, some are in denial, and some have become motivational speakers. And now the final girls are mysteriously dying one by one. So obviously this
1: is for streaming. This is yeah. <laughs> this is not likely to be on ABC. Um, Probably not. Although I suppose it could be. But it's just I mean the book is so fantastic. We literally both of us read the book in a day. We could yes. not put it down.
0: And we te- like I just like literally got to page 2 and I texted <laughs> you and said, "Wow, this is really gripping." Yeah. And you texted back like, "I'm on page 5 and I love it." um it's just it's just gripping that's the only word I that really like I feel like captures how compelling it is and how propulsive well, and it's the
1: it's really the characters they're so yes. beautifully drawn. We've done adaptation of books before, and very seldom yes. do we kind of mark a section of the book as like, oh, we actually would want someone to say this or This could be voiceover or, you know, like it's just so wonderfully done. It's incredibly compelling. It's, you know, it's very like pop culture and fun, but it also really has deep, meaningful themes like trauma and recovery, which I feel like we're all (laughs) going through right now. It's just
0: amazing. And we love that it reframes victims as warriors. Yes. That's really what pulled us in, is this chance to empower these women who are in this group therapy. And it's interesting because, like,
1: almost all the characters are women. There's one significant male character who is just, we just get the biggest kick out of. But it's a very, very, very female-focused yes. story, which is interesting because it's written by a male writer, but
0: he did it really brilliantly. And there's a ton of action. Yes. I mean, it's about women, but there's a lot of action. We like the word muscular. It's a very mm. muscular story. So anyway, we're looking forward to pitching it and selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Not, we don't want
1: to curse ourselves.
0: Yes. Hopefully selling it. I'll, I'll amend that, Sarah, and say hopefully selling it.
1: There you go. Um, and it's interesting because it turns out there are a lot of people on our Facebook group who are huge fans of Grady Hendrix already. So, you know, if you haven't read his other books, definitely do that while you wait for Final Girls Support Group to come out because it's not out yet. I don't think it comes out until this summer. Yeah. In the meantime, I think his latest book is called The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. So start there and then read the Final Girls Support Group when it comes out because the show will be different. Than the book.
0: Yeah. There's always some variation when you adapt something. Although what I love about this book, as you said, is there's so much we can just take oh. straight from the book. Yeah. And of course, we will keep all of you updated um, day by day, practically, <laughs> as we go through this process. So um, tune in here for the latest about the final girl support group. Yay.
1: All right. Next up, we answer a mailroom question about what makes seemingly good projects turn out so bad. Hopefully this will never apply. Liz, it's time for our
0: mailroom segment where we answer questions
1: from listeners. This week, we got an email from Caitlin, who wrote, Sometimes I see a movie or shows that come out that are created by quality writers and starring top-tier actors, but they are total bombs. How does this happen? Do people just run with ideas if the creators are famous enough? Can a good script snowball into a terrible script once other producers get involved? Do the actors know they're reading terrible lines but do it anyway? One example that always sticks out is wine country. How does the talent of SNL create something that dumb? They're so smart. How?
0: Well, first of all, Sarah, we should um, admit that we watched and thoroughly enjoyed Wine Country. <laughs> I, um, I loved every second of it. Um, and it was very successful on Netflix. A lot of people watched Wine Country. Yes. So, I mean, potato, potato to some degree.
1: Well, it's sort of like what your expectation is. It was exactly what I expected it to be. I think like we certainly see the flaws in wine country. It wasn't like going to win like a, well, you could win an Emmy. I have no idea. But like a Pulitzer or a National Book Award, it's not like that level. Not that those exist for TV shows, but it was just fun.
0: Yes. Yes. We enjoyed it. I mean, I just love seeing wine country, you know, it was just Feel good.
1: Well, and also just seeing a bunch of middle-aged women together on screen has
0: a certain value. Absolutely. That's my love for The Real Housewives. (laughs) But wine country aside, (laughs) um, there are many reasons that projects go wrong. And yes, Caitlin, you're absolutely right that sometimes projects are greenlit for the wrong reasons. Um, And when that happens, it's hard, I think, to rescue a project. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's funny because really, there are so many ways projects go wrong and so few that they actually go right. You know, we call it lightning in a bottle when a show turns out well. Like Grey's Anatomy is lightning in a bottle. It's just how often does that happen, that all of these elements come together and create something that is sort of just the right show for just the right time, that then has longevity, that, you know, like, it's just really rare.
0: On The Shield, Michael Chiklis, who starred in The Shield, would always say, hey, this is lightning in a bottle, let's keep it going as long as we can, because having been around he knew how rare it was to get something that was that quality that also people watched, you know? And everything we're saying about TV, of course, applies to movies as well. Like you're saying, so many elements have to come together. The right actor for the right role with the right script, director, costume design, production design, all of it has to... Editing, I mean, music, all has to come together together. But why do projects get made that shouldn't or go bad that could have been good? Um, Many reasons. One thing is sometimes projects that aren't great get made because they're an actor's pet project or a group of actors pet project.
1: Which is probably why Wine Country got made, and I'm very glad that it did personally. (laughs) But. (laughs) Yes. And then there are it's interesting. There are certain actors I'm thinking about Adam Sandler, who's a super talented guy, and he has a very particular following. And they know that anything he does is going to make a ton of money. And so they will just make things. And sometimes they turn out great. And sometimes they don't turn
0: out great. But they
1: always make money.
0: Yes. And so like a lot of it you have to think of no one gets fired for green lighting an Adam Sandler movie. Right. And I think that's a lot of it. Um, and in television, I think that definitely plays into it. So if a creator is famous enough, they could get things made that aren't that great because if you have a track record it makes people much more comfortable in saying yes to handing over i mean for a pilot you're talking let's say 6 or 8 million dollars maybe more in a lot of cases and then to make a season of a show how 30 40 50 million dollars so a track record is a big deal and maybe their gut will tell them mm, i don't love this But this person has had a huge hit. This person has had a show that's gone on for a long time. So let's take a chance. Because there's always a certain element of chance when you green light anything. Anything can turn out great. Well, not anything, but mostly anything. (laughs) And anything can turn out badly. So there's always that chance. So I think that's why things get greenlit that shouldn't. Yeah, and... Good scripts
1: also, yes, can go bad as they go through the development process. And maybe not even bad, just worse. Like, a script that is really good can just get kind of like, meh, Mm -hmm. and kind of weighed down by mediocrity, multi-levels of things that just kind of water it down. It just happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, we have definitely had scripts that have gotten worse through the notes process. Now, we've also had scripts that have gotten much, much better through the notes process. Sometimes what happens is a script gets better and better, and then it turns the corner and it starts getting worse. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. When you get into the uh, heavy exposition to make everything crystal clear, when people start, this is what really hurts scripts, when um, people want all the characters to be overly likable. And we've discussed this before. It starts losing its teeth at that point.
1: Yeah. And I think for many years, we didn't feel like we had the ability to stand up against that kind of just incessant noting into nothing. Um, I do think we're much better now at going like, OK, this, we're at a good place. Let's not go backwards yeah. from here. Um, but that's just something that comes with experience. And sadly, I'm guessing, yes, actors often do know they're saying terrible lines, but they feel like they have to say them anyway, and they just do the very, very best they can and try and make them seem good. I always feel bad for actors in those situations.
0: Sarah, I would be remiss if I didn't point out sometimes actors insist on saying what they want to say instead of what's written. And that can make a script become nonsensical, but it does happen. And we <laughs> that we've is seen also it true. Yes. <laughs> we've seen it. We've seen yeah. it.
1: Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, this scene went from meaning something to like, what? This is just like yeah. a word
0: salad now. <laughs> so I mean, there's just so many reasons things go bad. Um We're all trying our best. I mean, here's what I'll say. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie or a bad TV show. We all want to make great shows and great movies. But it is just a lot of elements coming together. Yeah.
1: Now, we talk about how it's all collaboration, 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 collaboration. A great collaboration often leads to a great product and sometimes not. It's just, like, I wish we could break it down. It's just there's too much, too many elements, too many things to go wrong.
0: When you don't know sometimes until, like, the end of the process. <laughs> True. So that that's the problem. If you knew, oh, my gosh, this is terrible, everybody would maybe stop and change it. But it doesn't become clear sometimes for, you know, until it's too late.
1: Yeah until it just doesn't come together.
0: Yes. So anyway, hopefully from now on everything we make will be wonderful.
1: Brilliant. Yes. Absolutely brilliant.
0: Okay, speaking of making television shows, it is time for the craft and fane in which we discuss the craft of writing because although writing is an art, it is also a craft. Today, Sarah, we are going to talk about a couple sections of doing a pitch that we haven't really covered before. And really, it's two questions. One is why you? The other is why now? Right. Buyers have always wanted to
1: know why you, as a writer, connect to a particular piece of material or to a particular project. And they've always wanted to hear about why you're passionate specifically about what you're pitching. But somehow it feels like now more than ever, it's important to answer the why you question in a pitch and like right up front. It feels like it's like the zeitgeisty question at the moment. Executives and producers want to feel like you and only you are the and us, us and only us in our case are the exact right people to do this particular script or project.
0: And sometimes it's obvious. Like, if it's a show about professional basketball and you played basketball in college, it's very easy to say, oh, I am the right person to write this script. But other times it's less obvious, and that's when you've really got to sit back and just sort of, like, dig deep and say, why you? Find a way to connect the material and the pitch to you personally. Right. For instance, like we're all going through a pandemic. So if you're pitching something right now, could say, is there something you've learned or experienced during this time that gives you insight into what the show is about or your family history? You know, what is your family history? Is there history in your family that connects very directly to what you're pitching Just look at your life, look at your, even just your emotional landscape, and find a way to express the very direct connection between you and the material. Yes, and um, we should say that
1: sometimes writers just bullshit this. They will make up something completely out of thin air that they think is a great story that connects them. To a particular project, we have heard of this happening many times. It is not something we are capable of doing. Like I, we just we would. It would be so obvious if we tried to do it that people would just like look at us like you're just totally lying right now.
0: Yes, um, and. And by the way, Sarah, in addition to us just not being good at lying in the room, if someone yeah. ha- happened to have heard this podcast, like we I talk know. about our lives so yeah. completely, it's hard to imagine like pulling out, you know, that time we were in jail when we were 20. Right. Out of That time air. we smuggled something out of yes, Nicaragua. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so we don't have that option, but, but, but people do it. I'm just going to put that out there. Yes. Okay. The other question is, why now? Why does this story have to be told today? How is it relevant? Relevance is a big word right now. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, we've talked about this before. Yes. And even
1: more right now, it's extra relevant. You know, we talked about that project that when we first Got interested in it, it seemed really relevant. And then history was moving so quickly. This was about six months ago that we were just like, wait a minute. No, okay, suddenly this just doesn't feel relevant now. Yeah. And, you know, it can be because the story is tone deaf or it can be because the story's too of the moment. Like (laughs) we were working on the podcast about a pandemic when the pandemic hit, and we just went, okay. Not right now. Yeah, it Um, just didn't
0: feel like something that people were going to be interested in right now.
1: Yeah. But if you can find a connection to the project that makes it seem not just relevant, but necessary. I think that's the key, is like, this is why this project needs to happen right now, then you're likely to be successful i think if you can really make that gut connection to why a project is actually important at this moment
0: yeah like we have a project sarah that um has to do in in a lot of ways with social justice although it's not about social justice but it it resonates with social mm-hmm. justice and it feels so important to tell that story now yeah So that makes us even more want to tell it. Whereas if it was about something that just didn't feel of the moment, we would be less compelled to do it. Right.
1: And it's very good if the why now can elevate it somehow.
0: Yes. And make it really more transcendent. Because, you know, TV and movies are art, Um, as we said, they're art and craft, but when they can be transcended, they could really, you know, have an impact on our time, which is what we all want to do. That and entertain, of course.
1: Yes. All right. Coming up, we've got a Hollywood hack that will help keep you safe. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood Hack. It's the COVID-19 Event Risk Assessment Planning Tool. Which feels very like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Explain. Okay, it's a website actually that um, Georgia Tech developed um, because as we all know, yay, COVID numbers in the U.S. and around the world have been going up and up and up. Um, Positivity rates are up, hospital rates are up. So this tool tells you how likely it is that an event you're going to, whether it's dinner or, you know, the grocery store or something larger, it tells you how likely it is that that event will have a COVID-positive person present. And what's cool about it is that it's granular. It's a map of all the counties in the United States. It's not just regions or just a state. It's actual counties and you can see what percent chance there is of being exposed to someone with COVID in a group of like ten people, twenty five people, I think all the way up to like five hundred people, which I'm sure at this point is like a hundred percent everywhere.
0: But yeah, I haven't <laughs> even checked the five hundred because I'm like, yeah. I know I'm not going to be in a group of five hundred. Exactly. Um, but for example, Sarah, I checked it yesterday, and in LA County, if you're at a gathering of ten people there's an 11% chance that someone has COVID. In a group of 50 people, there's a 43% chance. So you can just look at that to say, okay, and as it creeps up, you might be like, okay, forget sitting outside at a restaurant. Like it's too risky, or I'm not gonna go to that backyard game night or whatever it is. Yes. Or, okay, it's only an 8% chance. I'll take that chance. Whatever, you know, whatever your mindset is.
1: It's interesting because, you know, I came to the middle of nowhere in northern Minnesota to be safer. But in a group of 10 people, my risk here in St. Louis County, Minnesota, is 33 percent. So like three times as high as L.A. And with 15 people present, it's 46 percent. But knowing that, it means I'm very, very careful if I go to the grocery store and there Mm -hmm. are you know probably 30 people in the grocery store i'm thinking okay there's a very good chance there's someone in here who could be contagious with covid yes it's just a tool
0: it's a tool like it it does you know it, look you could have 10 people and there's three people with covid if a family shows up all with covid yeah. or you could be in a group of 200 and nobody has it but it's just helpful to know where sort of your area is in the scheme of things. Well, and it's interesting to, like, look around the
1: country and be like, OK, this county in Georgia is this, this county in South Dakota is this, this county. And, you know, Anna and I look at Missouri, obviously, um, as I'm sure you do as well, or yes. California versus Arizona. Like, it's just it's very interesting.
0: And one thing that's nice about it is if you're sort of wrestling with yourself, you know, like Gretchen and I canceled our um, trip to Kansas City because we just decided it, it wasn't safe. Like looking at these numbers, like it makes it less appealing to go to a gathering. So if you're wrestling with yourself and you're like, I know I shouldn't go, but I want to go. If you look at this, you might go, eh, you know, I really don't want to be. Um, in a situation where there's a 75% chance that I'm going to be exposed to COVID. So <laughs> exactly. it, it, it's just helpful. Yeah, well,
1: especially now when there are, I have my fingers and my toes crossed, but when there are a couple of what seem like really good vaccines kind of right around the corner in the coming months, I'm like, I really don't want to get COVID right now when I could get vaccinated yes. for it in April.
0: Very good point. So, you know, I'm staying home. We will link to this um, in our show notes. It's just really interesting to look at. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We
1: love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank
0: you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13.
1: And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban. And check
0: out the newest Onward Project podcast, Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fame. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it.
1: Okay, Chuck, where are you going to be next week?
0: Um, Santa Barbara.
1: Um, okay, I'll look for your... Well, don't be around... 50 people, that's 21%. I know it's just going to be you guys, but just for fun. Let's see. Santa Barbara County. Oh, dude, 5% chance if you're with 10 people. So better than L.A. County. Oh. But
0: here's my question. If you bring L.A. with you, does it, if you're people <laughs> from true. L.A. in Santa Barbara <laughs> County, I think that's what you have to count. Oh, no. I got to quarantine us. Yes, only if you just
1: stay with your small group.
0: Well, if I stay with my small group, I guess the odds are the same wherever I am. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but you'll be safer at the grocery store. <laughs> so you stay in a bubble. The boy in the bubble, like John Travolta. Yeah.
1: <laughs> From the Onward Project.